First of all, it's just making sure that directors are getting information on a regular basis about the landscape of threats, right? So, and really looking at it from a risk mitigation and risk oversight perspective, as opposed to getting super deep in the weeds on any particular technology. You know, if your board didn't pay attention to geotagging technology and this new cool app called Uber, uh, you know, you didn't see it coming. Welcome to the Exchange Feed podcast series. This is Tanya Roundtree, Global Head of Client Success at TMX Group. And joining me is Dottie Schindlinger, Vice President of Thought Leadership and Governance Technology Evangelist. I love that, Dottie, uh, at Diligent. And um, today we're going to be having a discussion about governance in the digital age. Certainly, there's been a dramatic uh, pace and speed at which we're receiving information these days, and uh, boards are subject to have to deal with this disruption and in innovation. And uh, so we're going to be having a discussion around that. And Dottie has has created a guide, uh, a really great book that will help boards um, manage this process of, uh, of disruption. So Dottie, thank you for joining us and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Thanks so much, Tanya. It's my pleasure to be here. So let, can you just start by telling us a little bit about the book? I know, I know you researched and spoke with so many um, directors and board members uh, before endeavoring into creating this book, but maybe tell us a little bit about why you felt the book was so necessary. Sure, I'd be happy to. So our CEO, Brian Stafford, and I had been talking about doing something on this topic. We've been sort of talking about this issue for a while. Um, you know, I've, I've got a about a 15-year career at this point working in technology for boards of directors and uh, quite a f additional number of years working in governance generally. And so <laughs> and it's a topic that's been on my mind for a long time, this topic of you know, technology has been a disruptor in every single part of our businesses, right? I mean, if you think about every single part of how we do things these days, it is fueled by digital technology. And yet it seems like it's still kind of a new topic in boardrooms. And that's just always been a head scratcher to me. I don't understand why it has been so slow to make inroads into the boardroom. So I was always really interested in that question. And at the same time, Brian was saying, you know, I'd be really interested to understand what kinds of practices are changing in boardrooms because of of the fast pace of information. You know, if you take a look at uh, how quickly things are being innovated, how quickly things are changing, there's so much pressure coming down on corporate boards and on directors these days. How are they dealing with all of this? And so he and I kind of started talking about these issues and decided to explore those issues in the book. So Governance in the Digital Age, a guide for the modern corporate board director is really meant to be practical guidance and useful stories told by directors from around the world um, in combination with the research that he and I collected to try to show some practices that are working, things that boards can do from a very practical perspective to make them more nimble, to make them more agile in terms of making decisions quickly, to be better prepared for things like cyber risk and you know social media pressures and pressures coming from activists and investors all over the place. You know, how can they respond better in this time of incredible digital disruption. That's really the focus of the book. Excellent. And, and you touched a tiny bit there on cybersecurity. And I, I think, you know, cyber threat is certainly a topical um, thing that we're all discussing. And it really is impossible to stay on top of it all. So even if we've got some tools in place, um, can you tell us about some of the tactics that you found that were most helpful from your discussions and just through your experience in working and advising boards? 
Sure, Tanya. Well, you know, you really put your finger on it, right, in terms of how difficult it is to stay on top of cyber risk. And there's a few different dimensions of that. But I think one of the things that's just sort of a basic truth that we all have to reconcile with is the fact that bad actors and those who are committed to trying to breach our systems are probably always going to be better at it than we are at protecting those systems. The reason for that is bad actors are doing this 24-7. This is their livelihood. We all have other mm -hmm. jobs. <laughs> you know, we are, yeah. we, we are not companies in the business, most of us, of thwarting bad actors, right? We are doing other things. So it's always going to be a challenge. Um, one of the other things that sort of compounded that challenge in the case of boards of directors is that you're talking about leaders who, for most of whom, the dot-com boom of the late 90s happened when they were in their late 40s. And so these are people that didn't grow up with digital technology as part of their vocabulary or as part of their thought process. They kind of had to come at this as adults and learn this as kind of a second language. And I would also say it's all new. You know, if you think about different areas of competence that directors have, things like finance or legal risk, those are things that have been around for a few hundred years, right? We've been sort of refining uh, degree programs in finance and degree programs in legal compliance and ethics, but not so much in technology. Technology is still about, what, 25 years old? So I feel mm. like because new area and because it, it does involve risk that directors maybe aren't as familiar with, it is going to be a little bit more challenging for them to deal with. Um, but some of the things that I think are working well, first of all, is just making sure that directors are getting information on a regular basis about the landscape of threats, right? So, and really looking at it from a risk mitigation and risk oversight perspective, as opposed to getting super deep in the weeds on any particular technology. And I think that's one of the areas where some boards maybe make a little bit of a mistake is they sort of think, well, this is all very technical, so we're going to just listen to whatever our CIO tells us and just hope everything's okay, rather than saying, what if I look at this as an enterprise risk area? How would I approach that differently? And what would be some of the kinds of questions I might need to ask if I'm looking at this from an enterprise risk perspective? So I think boards are really starting to shift in that direction. And the more they do that, the better position they're going to be. Because most boards, they're pretty okay at handling risk. They understand how to handle things like financial risk or you know, scenario planning around a critical event or dealing with sort of disaster planning. And if they take that same mentality and that same approach to handling cyber risk, then they're, they're going to be, I think, in a better place and in a better position than if they just kind of let the technology scare them and don't deal with it. <laughs> so I think yeah. some of the more practical things are just to kind of approach it from that perspective. The other thing that we heard from directors as a very good approach is just, you know, reach out to law enforcement and get to know them really well. Most of the jurisdictions around cyber risk or cyber counterterrorism have different outfits in, you know, different law enforcement branches that you can reach out to. They're often very happy to come and speak to the board and to coordinate with you in terms of the things you should be looking for, the things that should be on your radar. What are the current threat landscape uh, markers that you should be watching for? So they can really be very helpful at giving you practical guidance in a very non-biased way. You know, their, their motives are pure. They're just trying to make sure that your company is safe and information is protected. So they can be extremely helpful. Um, so looking away then from kind of cyber threat and, and cybersecurity and, and moving maybe a little bit more just to um, how, how do you keep pace? What are some of the tactics you can use 
you know, if you are that that person who went through the dot com bubble in your 40s and you don't embrace technology and here you are, you find yourself in a position where you're out of your comfort zone related to technology or disruption or innovation. Um, what are some of the things that that you've seen? What are some of the tactics that is it adding somebody with that expertise to the board? Is are are, are there are there dashboards? Are there tools? Or what kinds of things might be available um, to assist directors in this regard? So there's a host of different strategies that boards are trying, and some of them I think are working better than others. But I'll just sort of share a few examples that we learned in our conversations with directors for the book. So. You mentioned one of them, which is looking at the composition of the board. So a lot of organizations now are really taking a critical eye toward the composition of their board from the perspective of competence areas and skill sets. You know, do we have the right competencies at the board table to position us well for the next stage of development of our company, right? And so right. looking at uh, board refreshment and board composition is, is a component. What we, what we are a little concerned about, though, is that for some boards, what that has meant is that they, they spend a bunch of time sort of scrambling, sometimes in reaction to pressure from activist investors, to go find mm -hmm. a, a tech director, you know, kind of in quotes, the techie director. And <laughs> that can be kind of a problematic approach. Yeah, yeah. A problematic approach. I'm not saying that I'm against having uh, directors with technology competence on the board. I, I'm not opposed to that at all. In fact, I think it's really important. But what I am a little bit concerned about is this idea that you can just go get a techie director and that solves all the problems. Because 100% does not, <laughs> you know, just, yeah. you know, it's not like adding sugar to coffee. Like you have to actually really think um, clearly about how are we going to integrate technology strategy into our conversations at the board table. And the problem is if you just go get a tech director, well, first of all, there is no such thing as sort of a tech generalist director. Like most people who work in technology fields have some specialty. So they're either cybersecurity mm -hmm. or they're AI or their blockchain or their, you know, computer science writ large or they're focused on systems, they're going to look at every problem through that lens. And if every problem doesn't make sense through that lens, I mean, it could be just a little bit narrow, right? If you look at everything mm -hmm. through, the, through the lens of, you know, AI or everything through the lens of blockchain, well, then that's really how you're going to look at the problem. You're only going to have that one narrow view. And, and I would just be concerned that boards would put too much... Um, emphasis on having that one tech director answer all their technology questions, which is just not possible. So I think a better approach is, yes, you should definitely take a look at the composition of your board and see where you might need to beef things up. And maybe it's maybe it's adding one or two or even three directors who have a, a diverse perspective on different aspects of technology, maybe innovation, maybe cyber, maybe other things. Then another thing that's incredibly important is that you raise the level of all directors. And you need to do that by providing lots of opportunities for education, but by also fueling directors' curiosity and really encouraging them to do a lot of self-education. They should kind of be hungry to learn as much as they possibly can about what's going on out there. I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot at stake, right? I mean, every big company we can think mm -hmm. of these days has had a major breach that's in most cases cost them many, many millions of dollars. Um, that's one area of risk. Another area of risk is you might not see a new technological innovation coming that could completely upend your industry. Think about being hundred percent right. Think about being on the board of a taxi company back before Uber came on the market. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, if your board didn't pay attention to geotagging technology and this new cool app called Uber, uh, you know, you didn't see it coming. <laughs> so, so yeah. 
Right. So I think um, there's there's a lot there around just helping to raise the level of discourse at the board table through bringing in expert speakers, get the board outside of the boardroom, you know, take them on field trips to the R&D department of a non-competing analogous industry, right? Like, you know, if you yeah. work, for example, in the automotive field, maybe you go take them to uh, the R&D department of a company that's working on self-driving infrastructure, right? And just kind of get, get them out of their comfort zone, get them thinking differently, get them to be curious. Board curiosity is kind of the new, uh, you know, buzzword <laughs> in terms of- I love that. that. Right, director curiosity. And really it's it's kind of just a, a handy shortcut for- board directors doing the hard work of being a good, engaged board director. But I think those are the things that really matter in terms of technological prowess at the board level. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the other thing that I'm thinking about, as you said what you said, is how that then informs best practices, right? And as we think about as we think about sort of defining that, there really needs to be that level of understanding. So are you seeing, are you seeing more and more directors getting out into the field like you've referenced? Well, we talked to a lot of them for the book. So most of the people that we interviewed yeah. for the book were sharing with us their personal strategies and their board strategies for raising the level of discourse at the board table around these issues. And so a lot of them are, well, kind of telling us a few things. One is that they are very much limiting the number of boards that they serve on anymore because they're just finding the job to be so much more challenging and requiring so much more time and energy that they really can't be on, you know, five, six, seven, eight boards anymore. They're really finding, okay, you know, four boards is about the max. And at that level, then we really have to be very well-versed in such a wide array of issues that if we were to add another board seat, we wouldn't be doing good service to the company that we serve. So we were hearing that, and we were hearing a lot of um, boards that are taking their entire slate of uh, directors and sometimes the executive officers at the company on field trips, you know, to go visit some you know, maybe to go to the local university and speak with some department that is working on some innovation that could potentially fuel their curiosity and fuel their creativity for the next set of strategic decisions. So I think there's a lot happening. Um, yeah. What we most heard was that directors are just hungry for the best information they can get their hands on because they're concerned about missing out on an important warning sign or an important new innovation that could fuel growth for their companies. For sure. And when we look at where the prioritization happens, I know boards have been looking more and more at ESG. And, you know, it's becoming very clearly apparent that this is an area where we need to focus on and also what the ramifications are if you neglect that. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about what you've, um, what you've encountered in discussing ESG with directors and the importance, importance of focusing on that. Yeah, I'm happy to. I mean, and you're exactly right. And it's very related to these same issues, right? Because if you think about environmental, social governance practices, those things all have to do with how are we positioning this company, this organization for long-term success? And long-term success is a really high benchmark, right? If you think about it, um, you know, back in the 1960s, you could expect a successful company to be around for an average of about 33 years. Well, now that, that tenure has dropped down to about eight years. You know, a really mm. successful company is in business for eight years. I mean, that's kind of horrifying if you think about it. Wow. Yeah. Um, but, but the truth is what that means if you're a director is that you have to think about what, what could possibly be a game changer for us. What might we do that will give us any type of a competitive advantage to, to allow us to be sustainable over the long term? And some of those things have to do with, well, 
have we thought through in the design of what we do, how we're going to impact the, the environment, how we're going to impact the earth, how we're going to impact society and the community that we serve? How are we actually um, interacting with our customer base, whatever that is? And how are we materially helping or hindering people that we interact with? And then do we have practices in place to ensure things like anti-corruption and ethical practice? You know, and if you don't think in the design of what you do about these things, you're kind of setting up a situation where at some point you're going to kind of come to a head and something is going to happen that is very bad. And, and I think because um, a lot of directors now have been watching what's happening with movements like hashtag me too, and, you know, lots of different scandals mm. related to the environment, lots of things happening around cyber. They're watching what happens to companies that haven't had this mindset, you know, that haven't had this, focus on the future and this understanding of all the different ways that we can plan for work that are ethical, moral, and appropriate. And when they don't do those things, how bad it can get. And I just don't think any of them want to deal with any of that. And I, I definitely know um, the tools and tips that you've put into your book, Governance in a Digital Age, certainly can't be summarized in a, in a very small, short, brief podcast. Um, but I want to thank you for your time. And I want to ask you if if there was something you wanted to summarize from the book uh, to impart to uh, issuers and uh, and listeners to this podcast, what might be some of the key takeaways that you think are your best pieces of wisdom from uh, from the guide? Sure. So I think one of the things that was really interesting is as we talked to people for the book and as we collected all the data, we started to see some patterns and we decided to call those patterns the board behavioral profiles. We sort of identified four different profiles that boards can adopt that are different from each other. And, and by the way, these are not in any way, shape or form value judgments like one profile is better than another. It's just there were four different ways that boards were kind of reacting to the same crises and scenarios and data sets. And so, for example, you know, we saw boards that we would kind of called foundational boards where, you know, they're kind of small and nimble. They don't spend a ton of time thinking or worrying about formal processes. They're much more focused on having, you know, board meetings to just zero right in on growth and really focus on the financials. And those were pretty radically different from structural boards where they focus a lot on compliance. They have you know, more committees. They have a lot more um, very formal processes. There's usually a lot more compliance-related conversation happening at the board table. And those boards differ from what we call catalyst boards where those are boards that are often kind of brought in when there's a problem to do a turnaround. Mm. <laughs> so they're right. very much focused on transformation, on you know, getting their hands on the best data available and digging deep. And then those, sure. those differed from what we called the futuristic boards, which are much more focused on legacy. You know, these are boards that are already starting to think about what will this company look like after I leave. And, you know, how can I make sure that this company is going to be around not just for the next year, but the next 25 years? And so those four different profiles, um, you know, it was really interesting to see how each board would approach situations very differently from their profile. And they could change profiles. You know, you might have a structural board that suddenly decides, um, you know, they maybe in the wake of a scandal, they decide, oh, my gosh, we really have to be more of a catalyst board. And they can just mm -hmm. change. Sometimes that required some board refreshment. Sometimes it just required the board to start operating in a different way. They could kind of just adopt a new profile. And, and we saw that this is probably going to be the way boards will continue for a while because things are so volatile, so uncertain, mm -hmm. so complex, and so ambiguous. A lot of the old models that we've all known and loved for years and years don't seem to be working. 
Yeah. It's out of necessity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those old models just aren't holding up. And I think it's because our whole context has changed. You know, we didn't, Mm -hmm. we didn't create those models when there was Twitter, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, so things have changed. And so because things have changed, I feel like boards are really hungry for new roadmaps Um, and, Mm -hmm. and roadmaps that allow them to do a couple things. One is always head, you know, where they want to go but the specific path they take to get there might change 50 times and that that's okay. They still are heading in the right direction. And so um, we think we think these board behavioral profiles that boards are adopting um, kind of helps them do that. You know, it gives them a tool they can use to really keep going in the right direction, but not be so locked into one way to get there. I love it. Well, thank you so, so much for your time uh, in joining us for this podcast series. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Dottie. Thanks, Tanya. This has been so much fun. Thanks for having me on the show.